0: Ports and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Welsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Margot Sage. She is the owner and founder of Margot Sage Health and Wellness and an international best-selling author. How are you doing today, Margot?
1: I'm great, Brad. How are you today?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey. And I appreciate you. And I'm honored and happy to have this opportunity to sit down and speak with you and have you as a member of the Empowerography community. I appreciate you. So thank you.
1: Well, you're very welcome. I appreciate you and all that you're doing to empower women. It's it's absolutely wonderful. So thank you.
0: So let's jump right in. Margot. as I mentioned, you're the owner and founder of Margot Sage Health and Wellness. You are certified mindful meditation coach certified hatha and restorative and kids yoga instructor an author of an international best-selling book and last but certainly not least your mother that is one hell of a lot of hats you wear working in the world of mindfulness wellness how important is prioritization and organization to you and your daily routine and how do you stay on top of things
1: Well, yeah, it is a lot of hats. And for me, it's the business I run is mindfulness and meditation. So it's really just trying to even start my day being mindful, starting with a meditation or starting, you know, with before I even open my eyes, having a moment of gratitude to think of all the incredible things I do have and not have physically, I mean, just all of the things that are in my life that are just so gratifying. And picture my day as I move ahead as a day of success and not of failures, and be prepared to just walk into my day with a positive attitude.
0: That's the big part of it, right there, is positive attitude.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So I want to start off by speaking a little bit about your book called Ordinary Miracles. Now, I know through previous conversation with you that you and I had that. This book was born out of or inspired by your own personal loss or tragedy. Can you share with us a little bit about that story, a little bit about your personal loss and your personal story?
1: Absolutely, Brad. So the book Ordinary Miracles and the subtitle for the book is Life After Loss. So that really tells you about a little bit about my journey, even in the title of my book, 14 years ago, in 2007, I was married to an incredible man, we had an incredible life, and we had just had our first child. And on November 30th, 2007, we lost pain to a reaction and through anaphylactic shock and heart disease at the age of 35. So our life as we saw it And as I saw it changed within an hour, you know, an hour that I'll never get back, the life that we'll never get back. So my journey and my book come through that personal loss and the incredible grief and tragedy and trauma that I went through, Maine's family went through, our friends went through, through the loss of someone so young, such an incredible man with such a huge life in front of him and my journey of loss and how I went from a place of darkness as I really lost a big part of who I was when we lost Bane as a single mom, suddenly to a small child, a baby. (laughs) And and just the, the book is about the journey and taking myself from a place of complete brokenness to a place where I am now, where I'm living a very full, loving, kind, compassionate life.
0: A long road to get there, I'm sure.
1: A very long road to get there. And the book really does take you on that journey from the preface of the book, from the foreword written by a very close friend, to a place I went right to the gut, Brad, when I started the book. And I had no idea, no idea when I made the final decision to write this book, which had been writing itself for many many years in my mind and in my journals and and there was just a day last January where I decided it was time to do it yeah. and it was you know it was taken from years of experience and movement through the horrible pain and tragedy and grief that you go through to the ebbs and flows of that coming back and not expecting it and then trying to move forward with your life and remember how important we are when we lose somebody or we lose something or we lose a piece of ourselves and trying to get back to that place of love and kindness. So the book really reflects on a lot of those things.
0: So how long did it take to write this book? And I mean, how cathartic was that whole process for you? I mean, you had to relive that journey. So I can only imagine how hard that must have been, but probably healing at the same time.
1: Yes, absolutely. It was both. When I made the decision to write the book last January, I went through, I remembered that I had a journal. Well, I knew I had my journal. I remembered where I'd stashed my journal and made the decision to sit down. And I had promised myself I would only read the first and the last entry. But of course, that never works out. And I sat (laughs) for hours and hours. And the first entry in that book was written two weeks after I'd lost my husband. And I read through those pages of the book. And my son and my husband, Mike, were in the house. And they were like, are you okay? And I said, yeah. and, And I just said, I feel so sad for this person that I'm reading about. I feel her pain. And they looked at me and they said, that's you. And I said, I know it's me, but now I'm reading it from a totally different perspective. Yeah. I'm reading it from a bird's eye view where I'm looking back and thinking, oh, wow, like, oh, my God, I can't believe what we went through. I can't believe the emotion, the rawness. And as I read through that journal, it created more of a story for me to write. And it made me that title of Ordinary Miracles came to me as I was reading these journal entries, because originally, the book was going to be called All I Want is Bubbles. <laughs> and that eh? came from something <laughs> that my son had said when he was really little. and he Yeah. Say, mommy mommy bubbles and I looked at a girlfriend and I said oh my god all I want is bubbles like why (laughs) am I dealing with all this yeah but through the process of reading these journal entries and reliving what we went through I realized that It was the ordinary miracles in life, the sunrises, the first star we see at night that Wilkin and I used to wish on when we'd go for our walks, and all those little things that really helped me move forward, and then took me to a place that, and I know you and I talked about this in depth before when we spoke, was the other total element of the ordinary miracles, and those are the ones that we don't all see, and those are the ones that kind of come up, and you're like, wow how did that happen or where did that come from? Yeah, And that's where my spirituality really grew was through those experiences. And some of them I'd remembered and some of them I forgot. So reading through the journals really helped me write the story. And the last journal entry in that book, and I stopped writing in 2012, was when I met my new husband and and started my new life and opened the door into the second chapter of my life and on this earth. And it was just such an interesting perspective for me because I didn't realize until I went back to that journal 12 years later that that's really where it took me from. So it really helped me write the book and it helped me write the book quickly, (laughs) I must say. (laughs) Some people are like, how? I started writing in January, the end of January 2021, so last January. And I remember writing the ending of my book, which I never – I had – Ten different endings. I was thinking, how am I going to end this book? And it came to me just as I was sitting there in my window bench in my house with the sun coming in onto my computer. And it was on May 24th. It was at 5:32 in the afternoon, and I wrote the ending of my book four months later. And people are like, you know, and and that was me writing it. Obviously, yeah. there was the whole editing process and working yeah. with my publisher, but it was a fairly quick write, but it was emotional. And and I, I say it was quick, but there were days where I would be writing and they would be heavy, heavy days. And oh, I would sure. have to take I would take time, you yeah. know, and may need two or three or four days between writing because I needed to process what was you know, the emotions that I thought I had dealt with. Yeah. even some of the, some of the little things that would come up again. And so, you know, but then when I got further into the book and I got to the rebirth, I would say of myself and the love and kindness and compassion that I had for myself became much easier to write. And the days were very bright and, you know, I could get through tons of words. I'd be like, oh, I wrote, you know, 10,000 words today because I was so inspired by the journey. (laughs)
0: That's incredible. Yeah,
1: it was, and it was incredibly cathartic. And And
0: so, when was the book released, Margot?
1: The book was released on November 22nd.
0: Okay, so it's very, very new still. Okay. It's
1: very new still. Yes. Yes. So, it became an international bestseller in that book uh, in that first few days. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you.
0: Congratulations, of course this book isn't just specifically focused on dealing with the loss of a spouse or partner. I mean, yes, it's your story, but it's loss overall. I mean, if you could impart or share one piece of wisdom to help people deal with or start their healing journey after loss, what is that one piece that you would share to help people start their healing journey?
1: The one- piece that i would share and and as you mentioned it's not just a physical loss it can be you know the book is really written for anyone who's dealing with loss and we all do so it can be the loss of a physical person a relationship a job the loss of self so i mean my biggest thing is just for people to be kind to themselves and compassionate and if you're dealing with grief you need to allow yourself to feel it and not push it away because if we push it away and we hide it and we send it to that place deep down inside where we think it's never going to come back up, it always will. So we need to really deal with it head on, but in a kind and compassionate way, giving ourselves space and giving ourselves, you know the love that we need to grow and to move through it, but don't hide it and push it away because you don't want it to come back 10 years later with a vengeance. You want to try and heal through it. So, that would be my biggest advice in any kind of loss, any kind of grief we're dealing
0: with. I was going to say, if you bury that, and it, like you said, it'll come back with it, it'll come back tenfold on you. And then it's just that much more to deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, we see that. I think I see that with a lot of people and I saw it with myself in some ways. So I think writing the book and realizing that there were some things that I really just wasn't ready to face when I was 37 years old. But at 51, when I started writing the book and now 52, I was like, yeah, you know what I've matured or I've grown, I guess, from my experiences. And now it's time to face these things that I guess I was too afraid to. So there is words in my book about from fear to fearless. And I feel that I I carried a lot of fear for many years. And I think we all do. And I wouldn't say I'm entirely fearless, but I've certainly overcome a lot of my fears.
0: Do you have plans to write another book? And if so, do you have subject matter in mind?
1: I think it becomes a little bit contagious once you do it, to (laughs) be honest. (laughs) it's such an incredible feeling and accomplishment to see that final product of writing a book. But even before I finished and got that book in my hand, I knew that there was another book in me and even my editor that I worked with and I absolutely love my publishing company and I love my editor and I still speak to them regularly was like, when you write your next book. (laughs) And I think it would be an extension to the health and wellness and the growth and the personal journey and the unique personal journeys that we're all traveling on and just trying to help people through mindfulness and meditation and compassion move forward. There's also a story that I write about in my book about Wilkin, my son, when he was four years old. And he and I, from that story, have come up with the idea to write a children's book series and co-author it together.
2: Oh, that's amazing!
1: So, so we've started, you know, just kind of figuring out what what the series. We know what the story is about. So how yeah. are we going to move it through the series? And then we, you know, finding someone to do all the, you know, the illustrations yeah. for the book and that type of thing. But there's definitely a plan to move okay. forward with something. It's just, I got. I, I need to kind of work through this one first and, yeah, and see well, where it goes.
0: I was going to say you're only a, <laughs> a few married. months in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's understandable. Margot, how did you get yourself through that first year or so? I mean, who did you have to lean on for support and help? Y- you were left with an infant child and had to get, you had to, you had no choice to get up every day and still be a mom for him. There was no laying around in bed processing and dealing with your own grief just how
1: I woke up the day after being passed away and I was breastfeeding my four-month-old baby and Uh I looked at him and I knew that he was what was going to get me up every day and you know I really tried hard for him not to see my grief so I think that helped too was just you know there's those every day, as you said, you're busy. I was busy mom. Like there was everything I had to do for him. There was all the legalities around losing someone so young. We weren't prepared. We didn't have a will. We, yeah. I, wasn't on title, I wasn't on title of our house, but we, you know, we just got up every day and, and it was busy and we had an incredible support system and they were around us as much as they could be. And I had a plan every day every day when I woke up and I would tell this little baby, this is what we're going to do today. And yeah. I would, I had to lay it out because otherwise my mind would race. So it was, we're going to do this. We, we did a lot of walking at the mall. We did a lot of, yeah. we had a dog. So, but we always had a plan and I had to keep myself busy. And we, as I said, we had an incredible support group board. We had a lot of people bringing us into their own homes to have dinner and do all these things that, kept me so I wasn't alone all the time because once Wilkins went to bed that's when it got really hard and really real
0: I can only imagine I mean having gone through loss myself I mean obviously not a spouse but a parent and a grandparent last year and I found that you know it's great you have this support system and people are around but they're only around for so long and then, as you said, when it was time for Wilkin to go to bed and you're left with your own thoughts. And so it's kind of like that when once all the dust has settled and everyone's gone home and gone back to their their normal lives, you're left to deal with that. And again, it's not to say that the support is not appreciated and it's amazing to have that, but at some point you've got to sit with yourself and deal with that and that's fucking hard really hard when everyone's gone because well everyone's there you're so busy they're keeping you busy they're keeping your mind active and 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 helping you and all of that so you don't really have as much time to think and reflect on what's just happened and what you've experienced but once they've gone home it's a totally different world
1: absolutely I used to just wander around my house thinking What the fuck just happened to me? What happened to my life? I mean, it's a road of many twists and turns. It's not a straightaway like many things in life. And not only had I lost pain, but I lost a big part of who I was. So, you know, I felt very empty, very lost. Life became very dark in that way of looking forward at my future. I knew I had this little boy and, and all of a sudden it was just me. I was responsible for this child. And I didn't have his dad. I didn't have my life partner. I was alone. And for four years, I was alone. And, and I know we'll get to, to where my life has come. But it was it was more than that, actually. But it was challenging. And it was lonely. And I know that people would have loved to have been there for me 24-7. Yeah. But I couldn't expect that. No. And I know I, if, if tables were turned, I wouldn't have been able to offer the support yeah. 24-7. So you, sitting with yourself can be very, very hard.
2: It is. When you're dealing
1: with, and that's where the mindfulness and the meditation come into play because that's where I was able to focus on things other than just the tragedy and the trauma that we were going through.
0: So, after the dust settled, so to speak, and your friends and family and your support system kind of went back to their everyday normal lives, did you have support groups that you were part of? I know that when you and I spoke last, you had mentioned that the word widow was kind of looked down upon or frowned upon and not accepted, especially being widowed at such a young age. Like you you aren't or you weren't the typical image of a widow, because when we when we hear the word widow, we think, oh, you know, 70, 80, 90 year old woman dressed in black. And you've got this particular image of what a widow looks like. Right. So did you have a support group that you were part of? And how did you get past that whole stigma of being a widow at such a young age?
1: I did have a support group that I went to for probably eight months. It was a, a bereavement group. And it was all parents who had lost a spouse that had children. I was the youngest and I had the youngest child. And I did find it helpful for a while. I found the one-on-one sessions were not as helpful, to be honest. I found the group sessions were very helpful because I realized I wasn't alone in my grief and in my loss. And there are still people from that group 14 years ago that I'm connected with, which I think is wonderful. But once I stopped going to that group, I didn't look for that support from others that were going through the same thing I was and I kind of I wish I had yeah and when you talk about you know the word widow it would make me cringe yeah it would you know when I was filling out paperwork and all of a sudden you know you're like oh you know married divorced single widowed I'm like ah fuck that's me and that's those little reality checks that keep kind of hitting you in the face but it's also like you said that stigma around it's almost like when we used to talk about cancer and you'd whisper it like oh yeah. she has can- cancer yeah. <laughs> or the whole stigma around mental health which is a huge part of grief and a huge part of loss it's all all one we're always dealing with trying to be gentle with our mental fragility and I think that the Part of the widow for me was maybe, maybe it was me and not everyone feels that way, but it was just like, I don't want to be a fucking widow. I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for this change in title in my life. And I know it was very challenging for some people. To see me or communicate with me because they didn't know what to say. And I yeah. get that. But there were times when I'd be like walking through the grocery store and I knew someone saw me and I could tell they were uncomfortable. And they kind of like did that. Oh, look, there's this soup aisle. <laughs> and off they went and I thought, <laughs> you know, I'm still me. Yeah. I'm still here. Talk I'm still Margot. Yeah. Like I had Wilkin, like that was a great distraction. Like talk to me about him. And that was easy when he was with me. And then very rarely was he not, but if I was alone, I found in that first year that, and, and I, and I get it. But it was hard for people to communicate with me and and we were a big part of the community, and Bain was a really big part of the community. so for him, the loss for his loss at such a young age, it was very impactful to the community around us. so I get that people you know may have been a little bit more uncomfortable with what right. you say yeah, what do you do? But I am now part, and I, I was introduced to a incredible group, about four years ago, three and a half years ago, called Soaring Spirits International. Okay. And they are a group for the widowed community created by the widowed community. And the woman that started it lost her husband a year or two before, I think two years before I lost Spain. we were the same age. And she was looking for that community and she found it and she's created it and she's built it. And so I've become a part of that community and have started speaking at their annual conference, teaching restorative yoga to the people that have lost. And now I feel it still helps me. I still find it as part of my healing journey, but it also is very empowering and makes me feel that I'm doing my life's work when I have the opportunity to teach a group restorative class. And then get that message after saying, oh, my God, you know, it was so helpful just to be a part of it and to being a part of the change, the positive change in their lives that they're seeing. So, I, you know, it was years later that I realized that this group existed. I wish I knew about it, but now I can guide people towards it if they have lost recently or or even five years ago and are still looking for that community because I found it many years later and my life is very different now.
0: Because I was just gonna say you didn't find yeah. it till later on. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So how was it then for you raising your son on your own before you remarried? And at what age did you tell him about his father and what had happened and how did you tell him? I mean, I can't imagine how incredibly tough that conversation must have been for you, for both of you.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So so Wilkins was four months old when his yeah. father passed away. And as I said before, like when he was little, those days were hard and they were long. And, but we had a huge support group and that made a big difference for me. And he always, you know, as a, as a child, as he started to grow up, he knew that we were a team. It was the two of us. We yeah. were always the dynamic duo and we, <laughs> we did everything together and I made a promise to the universe and I made a promise to Bane when he passed away, you know, a few days after his passing, that I would give our child the best life I could possibly give him. And that I would, you know, give him, you know, I would live through a life in a lens of kindness and compassion and make sure that, you know, we we were okay, that we were going to be okay. And we are incredible. But it was trying to convince myself that I could do that on my own. And Wilkin always knew, you know, I mean, as a young child, we were the dynamic duo. But you know, he had friends that maybe were divorced and they would have a Thursday night with their dad or they had shared custody or they'd have a weekend or a vacation with right. their dad. Well, that that wasn't happening in his world. And, and, you know, things would, you know, come around where they'd be in school as a little boy in kindergarten talking about dads and families. Yeah. And he would, you know, I think he would kind of, he was really good about it actually, but he would draw photos and he would draw pictures of he and I and our dog and and just never really questioned it but knew you know that there was a difference between what his world looked like and what their world looked like and that that world you know now in this day and age there are so many different family dynamics that I don't know that kids question it quite as much as maybe we did when we were kids right but there was a day I remember when he was about three and a half years old and we were up at our cottage and we were out for a walk with our dog and there's this old really cool barn right by our cottage so i said yeah let's go over and check it out and we were just there this was one of our ordinary miracle days actually we were sitting Uh on a stump near the old barn and a butterfly a monarch butterfly came flying by just was kind of circling us and out of nowhere he said "Is daddy in heaven wow And I'm not a religious person, but I have very, very strong spiritual beliefs. But the Mm -hmm. easiest thing for him to picture in his little mind was that, yes, that's where he is. Yeah. So I, you know, I just said, yes, well, you know, Daddy Bain is in heaven and he's always looking down on us. And we are so lucky because we have the most incredible guardian angel looking (laughs) out for us. And we still look at that like it's still that we have this guardian angel that is and and when I look at the things that have happened over the last 14 years he is a guardian angel because I've gotten where I've gotten from my own courage and my own resilience but I also feel that there's always that little hand that's holding me up yeah or if people read my book and listen to the soundtrack that comes with my book. <laughs> he is my bridge over troubled water.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the the soundtrack. Can you just speak briefly about that? How that ties yes. in with the book and how that came to be? Uh,
1: absolutely. I know we didn't we didn't get to that point. That's but it's right. A very important point. Yes. Is music. So my late husband was a musician. Uh And music was a huge part of our lives, which it still is. And it is in many people's lives. But I found that there were a lot of songs and the lyrics and songs through my journey, and continue through my journey of not just loss, but also lost love, found love and self love that were really impactful to me. So as I started writing my book, for whatever reason, I was like, you know, these things just come to us. I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to incorporate this music into my writing. And then my son got and got very involved in it. We had all these great ideas that some worked, some didn't, because we had to be careful about using other people's music. Right, of course. But the whole copyright. But I ended up making a Spotify playlist with the songs that were very impactful. And as you read through the book, I always refer to how the lyrics of these songs were impactful in my life. I have a few of the lyrics written and then it just gives a person the opportunity as they're reading to stop, listen to the lyrics. And I think it's very empowering and it's very powerful to hear the music and really listen to the lyrics so that's where the soundtrack came from a brilliant
2: idea I love it
1: I still listen to it quite often and it still gets me it's still like I get emotional some days I cry some yeah. days I'm like wow you know you when my husband runs and every time he runs, he listens, He's says, that's my playlist. That's my running playlist.
2: <laughs> I love
0: it. <laughs>
1: so, you know, and so it's been, yeah. So that's where the music and the playlists
0: come from. Beautiful. Margot, how has this experience or all of these experiences surrounding all of this helped shape the Margot you are today, do you think?
1: I think it had a huge impact on who I am. And as I said, I, I lost a big part of myself when I was 37. And the journey that I've been on and finding my own self again and my place on this earth and my true purpose and starting my business and doing all those courses that I did have helped me become, I don't want to say a better person because I think I always was a good person, but I think it's helped me find my place And I was always spiritual and I believe that I was always a kind soul, but I think that it has amplified who I am and the level of spirituality and compassion and kindness that I have for myself and for others to a level that keeps growing with every person that I meet and every person that I help. So I would say that that is really what has shaped me and what continues on my journey to shape me into the person that I am today.
0: Beautiful. What then would you say is one of, if not the most important lesson or takeaway you've learned through this whole process that you've been through and this journey that you're on now?
1: I would say that the most important lesson and takeaway would be to be gentle to yourself Mm -hmm. and live your life with a compassionate heart. Not just for you, but for those around you.
0: Yeah. So then obviously this experience, this personal loss, and this is what inspired your journey into the world of health and wellness, I'm going to assume, right?
1: Yes. And I Part of it anyway, in part, right? Yeah, part of it. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. I mean, I was always very into my fitness and, Mm. and I think fitness, that fitness level, part of it was important. I was always I was always a runner. And when I first lost Bain, I ran a lot. And I didn't know if I was running to or running away. I think for a lot of it, I was running away. Yeah. (laughs) Now my running is my most inspiring time of my day. I wrote a lot of my book when I was running. I come up with the greatest ideas. Some are totally wacky (laughs) and some have stuck.
2: Yeah.
1: But I went through, you know, I I had a child, as we know, it was hard for me to really focus and I wish I had on my mental well being when I lost pain. I was more focused on my physical well being. And I went through a time in 2012 where that mental being, my mental fragility took over my physical. And I went through an incredible time of anxiety. I didn't feel like myself and it was a wake-up call. It was a big wake-up call. And so that was really took me on to that next level journey of health and wellness and mindfulness. I was doing yoga twice a day. I was meditating as much as I could. Breath work became my superpower. And that then took me towards, you know, my journey of trying to heal myself, which I thought I was doing, but obviously I wasn't doing well enough. More than many years of carrying that constant, being in that high stress, you know, my cortisol levels were racing. I was living like my sympathetic nervous system was just like in complete shock. There was no relief to the stress that I was carrying. You know, also working full time and trying to support us and all the other things added on that that's when I realized that it was time to take care of myself. And I kept saying to my husband that, to my to my husband Mike, who I you know we can talk about in a moment, but I I kept saying I feel like I need like something else is coming that I'm going to be doing something for myself that's going to help others, and I want to start a business and. And that's when I went and went back to school at UFT and got my mindfulness meditation coaching. And that just continued until okay, I want to get my yoga certification. And you know, it kind of just spiraled and kept rolling and this journey kept growing. And I think that it's only going to continue to do so. Yeah. So that's where my health and wellness journey definitely came from my own anxieties that, you know, and my own mental fragility that needed to be taken care of for I was afraid of what may happen to me physically.
0: So how long ago then did you start Margot Sage Health and Wellness?
1: I started very quietly in, in <laughs> 2019. And then when our world got turned upside down with COVID, I worked in the travel industry and I still do. So on top of all the things that we talked about that I do, yeah. I also have a, a full-time job that's very crazy right now with COVID. Yeah. And so our industry just, as we all know, like many industries, but the travel industry just got shut down. And I had been given this pause that we all were given. And I thought, you know what? This is the opportunity for me to build my brand, to get my business going. So that's what I did. I took that opportunity and that pause in life from COVID. And Margot Sage Health and Wellness was really born at that point where I did my, you know, learned how to do my own website and yeah. not without pulling out a lot of hair and a lot of stressful nights <laughs> on how do I do that, but spent the time doing a lot of teaching, a lot of yoga. And it was wonderful because I had the opportunity to become a part, as I said, of Soaring Spirits and do some more coaching and and teaching and I was teaching in our own industry people were calling and asking me to do virtual meditations at conferences and meetings so the business grew from there and so it's been I guess just over two years where Margot Sage Health and Wellness has you know really grown and then obviously with the addition of my book that's just an extension of who I am and the journey I'm on so the book you know and who knows where that's gonna go (laughs)
0: And so how has the adjustment period for Wilkin been getting through this for him, as well as having your new husband, Mike, in the picture as well? Like, how has that been for the three of you as a a dynamic, as a family dynamic now?
1: It's been really easy and really amazing because I have three, actually, boys, men in my life. Yeah. So Mike has a son, had a son in his first marriage. So I have a stepson, Christopher. And when Mike and I met, Wilkham was almost five. And it was a very, very difficult thing for me to really get my mind around. There was a lot of guilt involved in thinking about moving forward. And that was a really challenging time. But it was also that time I was speaking of in 2012 where... I realized how important I was. And and part of that was that I deserved, we all deserve to have a beautiful life and to have a second chance and be open to it and, and allow that door to not just open a crack, but open it wide. Yeah. And when I met what Mike Wilkes was little and he just kind of fell into the excitement of having somebody else around
0: and yeah. somebody
1: else in our lives and Mike is, you know, Brad, I'm so lucky because yeah. there are some people in this world that may never find true love. I have been in love and have been loved by two men. And I could never imagine that, you know, how lucky a person could be to, to experience that twice in a lifetime. Not that I asked to lose pain, but no. that I was open to opening that door to allowing my heart to have the capacity to love somebody else and still love me. So with Wilkin, he knew that he knew of his dad, obviously, and he's so much like his dad. And and we talked about Bain all the time. And we had photos, I had a massive painting of Bain in my house for years. He was around us all the time. And when Mike came into our lives, his MO, his goal was just to help me heal. And he was going to do that by loving me, I told him we were a package deal. It was either both of us or neither of us. So yeah. he had a choice to make. And that's a big choice to make when you're moving yeah. into a second relationship in yeah. life.
2: For sure.
1: And he took it on head on. And so, you know, he doesn't get uncomfortable or anything when Bane, you know, when we talk about Bane. Yeah. Obviously, me, me writing my book was a really big, you know, I had always wanted to do something to honor Bain's life. And I've done a million things, but I think writing the book and really showing not only who he was but you know who Wilkin is and and how he's grown because of fame. I mean, Wilkin was very much like both his dads. And as he grew up, I remember one of his teachers calling me in one day and she showed me a picture and I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, the kids were supposed to draw a picture of their families and their dads, sorry, their dads. And Wilkin drew two pictures. (laughs) And the kids were like, well, what's this? And he said, well, this is my, it was Mike on his Harley. And so this is my dad, this is my dad, Mike. And he's on his Harley. And this is my angel daddy, Bane. And he's playing drums.
2: That's amazing.
1: So so that's how he organized those things in his mind. And the relationship that they have now is, you know, Wilkins 14, he's becoming, you know, an adult. He's he's very mature, but we have an incredible family dynamic. And Christopher is a huge part of it. And so I'm very fortunate that, you know, the four of us, in a blended family, have found a very nurturing place for everybody.
0: That is beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you. Margot, what lights you up or inspires you the most about all the work you do?
1: I think with the work that I do and, and the service of the, you know, being a person of service and what I provide as far as the mindfulness and wellness and the thing that inspires me the most is when I teach a class or Someone reads my book or I do breath work with somebody. And even for a moment, if they're really dealing with something heavy, even if it's just for a moment, they find that light, they find that lightness, and they can say to me, Oh my God, like you have no idea how much that helped me. That is what is inspiring me to just keep moving in this trajectory of of health and wellness and trying to help others because. That is the end goal is to help people find that light and find that place in themselves that maybe they've lost. And through mindfulness and meditation and visualization, especially, and that combination of having the yoga, bringing the mind and body together and helping people find that place that may be of peace, even for a moment is so inspiring.
0: It's got to feel so good to have that kind of impact. It, it I mean, I shouldn't say it's got to, because I, I know it, how amazing it feels to have impact on another human being. There is, honestly, there is no feeling like that. It is one of the most incredible feelings that we could ever experience as a human, I think, to know yeah. that you have given back and impacted another human beings life in a positive manner.
1: Couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely.
0: To date, Margot, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win?
1: I would say finding my life's purpose after, you know, you know, being a 50 year old woman, and all of a sudden, having that aha moment and saying, I finally know what I was put on this earth today, not outside of those, outside of those things Yes. a mom and a a, a daughter and a friend, but that finding my purpose and being a person of service and being able to live my life moving forward in that, you know, growing that person inside me, that person that, you know, I now have realized is what I want to project as I move forward and be that person of service and, and follow my purpose.
0: It truly is an incredible feeling because i like you didn't find my purpose until i was i was i think i was 49 when i found yeah. mine
2: yeah. but
0: to find it at that point in our lives it is just so it's indescribable honestly there's not enough words to properly convey or show or express how incredible that feels
1: absolutely yeah i agree it's amazing
0: because you yeah. think about all the people that never do find that purpose in life and to have no. found it later in life it's just I am so grateful to have found it as I'm sure you are as well to even have found it absolutely point, and what know?
1: yeah and what you're doing is again it's just so incredible and, it, and you found your superpower you found what's going to help so many people so many women move forward in their lives and and not be afraid and not be scared of who they are and i think as you get older that becomes really significant part of who you know what our mindset is especially as our Absolutely. kids get older and we have that what you and i were talking about all of a sudden you have that time on your own where oh my yeah. god i have to like entertain myself in my own mind and not be i'm not running from hockey game to this to that yeah right so you yeah. have to be able to be good and comfortable with who you are
0: for sure. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful?
1: I think that it's finding a way to live my life with a compassionate heart and I don't know if my superpower would just be it's funny when I start teaching a class or or when I go into a that mindset mode. People always say like all of a sudden you're not a totally different person, but there's this gentleness the softness this kindness that comes and eludes out of you and that is important in what i'm doing and what i have found is my life purpose so i would say that is probably my superpower is that just i i go within so deep when i'm teaching others to go in deep that i'm going there with them
0: you transform yeah it's like much. clark kent going into the phone booth <laughs> yeah and... exactly
1: <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> you've got super margo
1: <laughs> maybe that's it there you go I like I like that <laughs>
0: analogy that works I think
1: yeah yeah thank you <laughs>
0: speaking of success Margo how do you define that word what does the word success mean to you
1: I think it goes right back to what we were talking about is for me success is seeing what I'm doing my life's purpose, helping others. It's not a monetary thing. It's all the little wins along the way. It's having people tell me, you know, that if I teach a thousand people and, and one person feels that light or feels that peace, I've won. That's success to me.
0: What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned that? And what was your life like after you learned it?
1: I would say the most important thing that I've learned in life is to allow yourself the space, especially with healing to heal. I come back to it quite often, but being kind and being compassionate to yourself. What I have learned is that one of the most important things that we can all focus on, and and some people may think it sounds really hokey and some people may look at it differently from you know, an arrogant side of things, but it's love yourself. If you don't love yourself, if you aren't comfortable in the skin you're in, if you can't sit with yourself and be kind, then you need to really sit back and focus on those healing processes of breath work and and all of those things. And I have learned that loving myself is only going to help me move forward with a compassionate heart. And it comes out in everything we do. But if you can't love yourself, it's hard to show and share and teach those learning to people like children. You know, if an adult doesn't care or isn't kind to themselves, the child is going to mirror that as they right. get older.
0: That's right. I mean, everything we are self is the foundation for absolutely everything in life, everything. And then everything just emanates out from that. So you have to love yourself. It's an integral part of life. It's you need to.
1: Absolutely. Otherwise, you're doing yourself a
0: huge disservice.
1: Disservice, yeah. And so many people are. I guess it's that fear that comes in. People are afraid to go there. Oh, yes. They're afraid. Yeah. They're afraid to unleash what maybe, as we said, not we're not dealing with it. We're pushing it away. And some people are afraid to deal with that and relive it. And I get it. And I get the fear. But sometimes having to relive it is what is going to help you heal.
0: Absolutely. What would you say is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received?
1: I had a professor at UT when I took my mindfulness course. And I remember sitting there one day and she said something. And it has been one of those moments in my life where, again, was very powerful. And she said, brokenness is a beautiful, important treasure. And that we need to put our suffering back into the world as peace, love and kindness and i just thought that is brilliant that is going to be my mo and i am going to do that i am going to take my brokenness and i am going to put it back into the world in that form of peace love and kindness and and try and help other people move forward from their brokenness
0: fucking powerful is hell <laughs> wow incredibly powerful
1: yeah, it was pretty amazing. The things that stick with us, right? Let's yeah. Kind of move through on our journey, but For sure. powerful moments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Margot, what drives, motivates and inspires you to keep going and to keep pushing and excelling at all that you do?
1: I'm a very determined person. <laughs> when I say <laughs> I'm going to do something, I generally do. But I think it's just, again, when I get to see the results of the work that I'm doing, when I get to see, as as I said before, that it's not wasted time, it's precious time. And the precious time that I'm taking to be with others and try and help them work through their own journey of whatever healing they're on, that to me drives me forward.
0: Beautiful. What does the word empowerment mean to you?
1: I think the word empowerment for me a big part of empowerment is finding the courage and the courage to take the journey and find the strength and the confidence to share what you want to share with the world. There's always that fear of what if, and I don't know how. And at some point we need to try and find that courage really deep down inside of us and say, I'll figure it out. And that in itself is very empowering. So the courage that we find and the resilience and the strength to feel that yes, we have something to share and we want to empower ourselves as we empower others, it takes courage. You had courage, Brad, to do what you're doing. So it's I think they're very similar in, in many ways is you need to have the courage to yeah. feel empowered and empower others. So yeah. that's you know how I would see it in my world anyway.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's you know very life. True. Yeah.
1: yeah. And life writes incredible stories. It does. And I think, you know, being able and finding the courage to tell your story is empowering and it Absolutely. empowers others. Absolutely. So, you know, it's finding that courage. And, and I really, I laid it all out there. So I had <laughs> you did. to be, I sure did. I needed to be prepared yeah. to let the world know who I was. And I'm two and a half months into my book being read by thousands of people and I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm still okay with it. I'm not thinking, holy shit, what did I do? I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, you know what, they may be looking at me a little differently, because they probably know more about me than they know about a lot of people. But the whole purpose was for those people that came to me and bought five more books, because they had five people that had to. read yeah. it because well, they needed to move forward on their journey.
0: It's bigger than you. It's bigger than yeah. your story. It is is. I mean, and not to take away from your story at all, but it's bigger than you. And I applaud you for the courage and strength it took you to write those words and be so vulnerable to put your story out there into words for the world, essentially, to read. Yeah. So I applaud you for that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it took a lot, but... I'm sure. But it's it's done. It's out there.
0: Yeah, there yeah, there's no going back now. <laughs> no, no, there's no going back now. <laughs> hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here so the next Yeah, no questions. absolutely. So, what is the first thing you think of when I say the word future?
1: Growth, personal growth, my personal growth through business and family. I just see a a, a trajectory of growth when I look in the future.
0: How would you like to be remembered?
1: From my compassionate heart.
0: How would you describe yourself in one word?
1: Resilient.
0: If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be?
1: Be kind to yourself and others.
0: What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money?
1: A 24-7 peaceful
0: heart. (laughs) (laughs) If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change?
1: I wish that I could take fear away from people's lives. And we all go through things with trauma and personal experiences. Yeah. But but the fear of moving forward, I just wish that I could take that pain away from people.
0: What would your family and friends list as a couple of your best characteristics?
1: I would say dedicated, kind, strong, and weak. I okay. would say that weak would probably be one of my best characteristics. I'm not afraid to show my
0: weakness. There you go. That's it right there. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> Margot, what does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it?
1: Always living in a place of peace, but knowing that that is a very challenging thing to do in this world that we live in, this ever-changing world that we live in. I would say always being able to find my way back to that place of peace and love for myself.
0: What is an unexpected occurrence in your life that you're grateful for?
1: Finding the incredible capacity of my heart. And knowing, as I mentioned before, that even though I lost someone that I love so deeply, I am able to do that and love somebody else with the same vengeance. Our hearts, it's like when you have a child, your first child, you think, I will never be able to love another child, second child, and your third, and your heart just keeps expanding and growing. And I think that that, was the greatest blessing that I could have ever realized in my life.
0: Can you tell me about a moment when a person's kindness made a difference in your life?
1: There's been so many. We have had a community of kindness, and we've been so lucky. But there was the minister at Payne's Church when he passed away. And again, I wasn't a religious person, but she really took me under her wing that first couple of months and she provided some grief counseling before I went into the group that I was in. And her kindness was just so genuine when I needed it the most that she really still stands out in my mind as, as one of those incredible people that hitched onto my wagon right when I needed it to help me.
0: Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why?
1: I would say, sorry, I get emotional. I'm not sure why. I would say my mom, and she's been resilient through her life. I know you feel the same way. My parents were at my side from the day, well, from the day I was born. But they have been there for Wilkin and I for years and my mom was always the one that just you know if I needed her she would drop everything and there were so many people in our lives that would my sister my brothers but my mom has been my constant and she still is (laughs) (laughs) so I would say that she's had the biggest impact on who on me and and who I am and what my why and my purpose are
0: that's what mothers do I mean you would do that for Wilkin right
1: hundred percent. So, I hope he would say the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm
0: sure he would. I'm sure he would. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why?
1: I had two answers, but okay. I'll go with one and explain the other. <laughs> I'm going to go big and okay. say that if I had the opportunity, I would love to sit down with Oprah. I knew it. I knew her. it. <laughs> Because she has come from a place of nothing. She right. lived a life that we all know was, she was a, lived in a life of poverty and she has turned herself into this incredible icon. Yeah. But she also is got the most kind, compassionate, beautiful heart. And she's very spiritual and she's very giving and she's very kind. And I love to just picture myself being interviewed by her and her beautiful garden. That would be someone of influence that I would love to sit down with. But I would also love to sit down with my younger self for an hour.
2: Uh I like that.
1: And have a conversation about, you know, trying to not protect myself, but prepare myself for what may be coming and start that journey, remind myself as a younger version of me. To start that journey of love and kindness and compassionate and self, then to save myself from some of the hardships that I went through to get to where I am now.
0: That is an incredible. I have never ever had anyone give that answer. I think that answer is phenomenal, (laughs) absolutely phenomenal, truly. I think that's. I have never heard anyone answer the question like that. I love it.
1: Thank you. (laughs) I had to go Oprah first, though. Yes, of course. Conversation with myself. I had to put that out to the universe because the universe may be listening. There you go. The universe is always listening. From her, always. I'm reading the. I'm listening to the secret again now that dear Bob Proctor has passed away. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm back to that whole universal law. Yeah. Love
0: it. (laughs) So speaking of that conversation with yourself, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that one piece of advice be?
1: Just what I said. It Mm. would be. You know, that being kind to myself, I was offered an opportunity from a friend's mom, who's still an incredible friend to me and a mom and my best friend to teach me how to meditate. And I was too busy. And if I look back on that now, I kick myself every time because that would have provided me with the tools that I needed, some of the tools in my toolbox that I would have needed to move forward at a younger, you know, at a, an earlier part of my grief. And I, I look back now and wish that I had just taken her up on it and not pushed it off as I don't have time for this.
0: Lastly, Margot, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What would you say to your people, your community, your tribe? What words of wisdom would you impart?
1: I could probably talk for. 30 hours instead of 30 (laughs) seconds. But if I had 30 seconds, it would be, be kind and compassionate to yourself and others. Be gentle to yourself on the days that are heavy. Celebrate the days when you feel fully alive. Don't take away someone else's superpower. Don't dim their light and don't hurt them. Spend your life lifting people up and brightening their life. There are a lot of people navigating their lives through a lot of challenges. And if we could give that light back into the world, and as a brightness, and not dim the lights of others and dim ourselves, then I think that we would be able to accomplish anything.
0: Beautifully said. Margot. thank you so very much for taking the time to be here today and share a bit about your story and your journey and your struggles. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing. You are a truly beautiful soul, human woman. This has been such an incredible conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time. And I am so honored and happy to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. And I applaud you for your strength and courage and resilience. You are truly an amazing woman.
1: Oh Brad, thank you so much. I can't thank you and, and say I'm so honored to have been able to have this time with you and to be a part of that community that you are Continuing and will continue to grow. I think it's unbelievable. So thank thank you. you.
0: Appreciate that. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Margot Sage. She is the owner and founder of Margot Sage Health and Wellness, and also an international best-selling author. Thank you so much, Margot. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day.
1: Thank you. You too, Brad.